You're listening to Nostalgia Be Damned. No, no, you want a s'more. I haven't had anything yet. So how can I have some more of nothing? You're killing me, Smalls. Hello, everybody. My name is Zach. I'm Brandon. And you are listening to another thrilling episode of Nostalgia Be Damned, the show where we take some of your favorite movies, the ones you're nostalgic about, the ones you loved growing up, but you haven't seen them in a while. Brandon and I watch them objectively, and we let you know, are these movies actually any good, or are you blinded by nostalgia? This week we watched 1993's family sports comedy, The Sandlot. Yay! The Sandlot! (sighs) The Sandlot, Zach. Tell me the tagline. There are more than a team. They're the best buddies in the entire history of the world. Wow, dude. Wow. <laughs> That's so cute. Yeah, I like that. Excuse my clearing of my throat. It's I have really bad allergies right now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, it's summer, man. So and this is a perfect summer movie. I was going to say last week we said we were doing a baseball movie. And I think that was incorrect because this is a freaking summer. I, it, this is a nostalgia movie perfect for nostalgia be damned it really is yeah this is one of those movies that really reminds you of your childhood and zach this may shock you this is the very first time i've watched the sandlot front to back i get the have fuck been, out of here listen i have been conflating this movie for years with the movie that i think was released a year after this the fucking little rascals for whatever reason no dude, i don't know why i've had just like all these memories mixing together of like different baseball kid movies and then the little rascals for whatever reason i thought i had seen Fuck. this and i know i had seen certain scenes and of course parts of it are impossible to avoid in pop culture like you're killing yeah. smalls and things oh, like that um, endlessly quotable movie yeah and honestly though this is the very first time i sat down to watch it front to back uh holy shit yeah wow. very excited <laughs> to hear what uh you have to say about it uh this is not my first time I'd imagine Obviously. so. Uh, yeah, um, because this, I, you can't play baseball. I played baseball for, God, I, I want to say like 20 years or something like that. I played baseball for a really long time. Um, and you can't play baseball without this movie being referenced at, all the time. Yeah. You're you're killing me, Smalls. Heroes get remembered. Legends never die. Forever. That You know, just all this fucking quote. So I loved this movie. When I was younger, and I think it hasn't been super long since the last time I saw it. Maybe a couple of years. I, I got to tell you, this is a movie that I, I constantly come back to. I might be tipping my hand already. But it, it is, um, I do have different thoughts on it this watch around, just because I watched it more as a movie and less of a love letter to summer and baseball and everything. But, you know, growing up, this movie, this is what I aspired to be as a kid during the summer this is what i wanted out of my summers just every day going to play baseball yeah it's it really takes you back and honestly would you say the characters in this film uh more relatable and exciting than was it henry rowan gardner because that's the other movie i was mixing this up with yeah oh i bet you were um yeah no i mean it's way better than rookie of the year Uh, all right we can just say that um no Gary Busey, though, so that's a strike. No Gary Busey, but Dennis Leary. Wow, as a, I did not see this coming. Yeah, Dennis Leary as a Yankee fan, noted Boston personality. Dennis Leary is, like, obsessive over the Yankees for some reason. It's very <laughs> weird. But um, these characters are a lot more relatable. I 
I want to know who wrote this movie because it, it, and I didn't do any research beforehand. Of course I didn't. You do all the research. Um, <laughs> but it's so reminiscent of like all these other coming of age movies. Like they're, they're splashes of the Goonies and um, Stand By Me and just all these other, like even this, even fucking it. <laughs> There's just yeah. so many like, it's it's a quintessential kids growing up in the 60s movie. Yeah. Takes place in the summer of 1962. So it definitely has that vintage nostalgia feel it's actually written directed and narrated by david mickey evans uh who was i guess uncredited on his first film as richard donner got solo directing credit for radio flyer in 1992 the sandlot which did release in 93 was his first credited directing job followed by first kid with sinbad (laughs) (laughs) then he did uh beethoven's third and fourth oh he loves the big fucking beethoven he likes big dogs yep exactly He also did Barely Legal, which I think is some, like, teen sex comedy. Uh, Wilder Days, not to be confused Whoa. with Wilder Wednesdays, if you listen to last week's episode. I was going to say, is this a Wilder spinoff? <laughs> Wilder Days. Then he did The Sandlot 2 in 2005, as well as the Sean Astin baseball film The Final Season. Uh, he also oh. did Ace Ventura Pet Detective Jr. Yuck. Yuck. And uh, his most recent full-length feature film, Smitty. Uh, is the most recent to be released. I I would be remiss, though, Zach, to not mention he also wrote the 1996 seminal chimpanzee baseball classic, Ed, as well. Oh, did he? (laughs) Wow. Okay. Um, Yeah, okay, so not a great repertoire. um, Safe to say he started off with his best. (laughs) Yeah, back-to-back, like, first best (laughs) forever. Yep. Um, I always forget there's a CB2. I don't know anything about it. Never seen it. Yeah, apparently there's two sequels, actually, we'll get into what? in just a sec. Yeah, oh I know. Sandlot's got a 7.8 on IMDb and a 63% on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, critics' consensus reads, it may be shamelessly derivative and overly nostalgic, but the Sandlot is nevertheless a genuinely sweet and funny coming-of-age adventure. I mean, that's pretty pretty on the nose. Kind of nail on the head <laughs> yeah. there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, mind you, the audience score, a very high 89%, so clearly this is a hit among audiences. Could not find a hard budget number for this online, so I don't know how much it actually cost to make. I do know it earned $32 million in the U.S. It was not released worldwide, so that was its total box office haul. It placed 50th on the domestic charts that year. So in terms of movies we've covered from 93, it earned less than Mrs. Doubtfire, Free Willy, Cool Runnings, Rookie of the Year, same year as this movie, and outperformed it. Uh, Nightmare Before Christmas, Homeward Bound, The Incredible Journey, and Hocus Pocus. But thankfully, it did manage to outgross We're Back, A Dinosaur Story. <laughs> what? No! <laughs> yeah, so I mean, while it wasn't a huge hit at the box office, it gained popularity uh, in popularity significantly on the home video market, as well as cable reruns. Yeah, I I know this movie, I think, plays on syndication a lot, but I, I don't know where. Yeah, but it was popular enough to uh, gain a sequel, The Sandlot 2 in 2005. This is a direct-to-video sequel in which a new Sandlot gang is featured. The only returning cast member is James Earl Jones as Mr. Myrtle. We also got The Sandlot Heading Home in 2007, which was another direct-to-video sequel which starred Luke Perry as Tommy Santa Santarelli, who gets knocked back to 1976 from 2005 and relives his childhood. Ew. I don't. Yeah, I guess Chancy Leopardi reprises his role as Squints. So. Really? <laughs> I guess so. You seen this kid in the future now? By the way, I have not, but he looks so familiar. I kept looking up other movies he had been in, and honestly, none of these kids went on to have like huge film careers. I mean, they'd pop up in things here and there, but none of them had become, you know, grew up to be a Ryan Reynolds. <laughs> 
quite the cast. Yeah, it reminded me a lot of the Mighty Ducks. And in fact, that kid, I think, went on to be in two of the Mighty Ducks, right? Benny, yeah, I was going to say the kid in Benny, uh, or the kid who plays Benny the Jet is in D2 and D3. Wow. Uh, and as of recording, there have been both a prequel and TV series announced and possibly in the works from Disney following their acquisition <sighs> of 20th Century Fox. Uh, nothing nothing current God. on that right now. Though. Millennials love this movie, so let's fucking pound it into the ground. <laughs> That's right, man. Let's milk it dry. Yeah. Um, and lastly, there was a defamation suit against the film in 98. I guess uh, Michael Polidorus sued 20th Century Fox and the producers of the film for defamation. Uh, I guess this man was a childhood classmate of the director who claimed that the character of Squints was derogatory and caused him shame and humiliation over the years. Trial court found in favor of the filmmakers. Uh, that finding was affirmed by the California Court of Appeal. And then the Supreme Court of California reversed its decision I guess dismissing the review and reinstating the Court of Appeals opinion in favor of 20th Century Fox. Wow. Uh, yeah. So nothing I, came of it. Honestly, fuck that guy. Squints is the best character. <laughs> yeah, man. Squints that... Oh, I, I, we'll get into him and his, his love affair with Wendy Peppercorn. Which I always... If, you're, if you've watched this movie before, I think I've always called her Peppercorn. This is the first time I've watched this movie, and I've heard the F in the name, Peppercorn. Had I not had the Wikipedia up to know who these characters' names were, I would have also thought it was Peppercorn, but no, Peffer with an F. Peppercorn. Weird. I also thought she was famous. She. I don't think she... She kind of is. Yeah, that's Marley Shelton, um, okay. who I recognize from, like, uh, what is it, Grindhouse? She's in Death Proof. I'm oh, not Death Proof, but uh, Planet Terror. She's in Scream 4. See, and... she's, she's been in a lot of shit that you've seen. Sure, sure, very true. Yeah, yeah. I I haven't really seen much of her post this. And this was uh, rated PG for some language and kids chewing tobacco. Gotta love the MPAA. Yeah, yeah. they do. And they do. That they do. <laughs> they sure do. Chosh, man. Yeah, I'm I'm actually excited to talk about this because I have a feeling you just have all of like these little incidental bits that were to me just you know random plot points or or pieces of dialogue to you are like holy shit. He said forever. <laughs> <laughs> it's, you know, it, it's weird. Um, yeah, well, I'll wait till we get into it. Yeah, I always love doing these types of episodes where like one of us is super into the movie and the other one has either not seen it or really doesn't care much about it. And so it's a nice juxtaposition. So, yeah, let's get into yeah. it. So yeah. we begin with adult Scott Smalls, the main character. He's walking into a baseball stadium seemingly for work uh, and he's fondly recounting his story. Uh, like we said at the top, it's narrated by the director, so he's remembering the best summer of his life circa 1962 in a very Stand By Me or Christmas Story style. So immediately, this is really hitting me in my sweet spot. I love these yeah. types of movies. I knew you would love this. Yeah, I, I, mean, I, I didn't know that you hadn't seen the movie all the way through, so this is a shock to me. But I would have guessed that you love this type of narration, this type of this, this sort of setup and, and vintage sort of feel. Yeah, I love the nostalgia feel. I mean, Stay By Me is genuinely one of my top 10 probably favorite movies of all time, and this is sure. right in that wheelhouse. So we kick it off with some Hank Ballard, a lot of jukebox, like, 50s songs throughout this whole movie, which I also dug. Yeah, um, of course you did. <laughs> we see local legend Benny Rodriguez, played by Mike Vitar, hitting a home run. And then we meet our, you know, the narrator the, the, as a young kid. He's moving to Los Angeles, the suburbs, about two weeks before summer vacation when we start. Um, and he has difficulty making friends. We do find Benny is one of his neighbors, but yeah, this kid's kind of a fucking a loser at the start here. Yeah, I mean, he's... This is my least favorite character in the movie, by the way. <laughs> and it's kind of weird that they position the entire movie behind him. I know. Uh, but yeah. 
I know they, and, and especially because of how much of the movie st- ends up focusing on Benny. But I, I guess it kind of makes sense because it kind of mythicizes Benny a little bit, which is kind of the point of this movie when it comes to the whole heroes and legends thing. Sure. And looking at the cover of this movie, which I've seen so many times, Benny's is the one who's kind of in the, you know, the center. He's the focus of the film's poster. So again, going into this, I thought Benny was the main character genuinely. Yeah. It, not the case. I do like uh, setting it in Los Angeles where it's 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 a different feel. You know what I mean? It's not necessarily the small town um, suburb or, or middle class like white family that you'd see in, in, a, in a typical baseball film. I feel like like a field yeah. of dreams or this or that like this. is It's just kind of a slightly different flavor, even though it does have that small town feel. Yeah. And, you know, they literally can just play baseball all year round because it never fucking rains there. Yeah, and they're also just a little more, I think, I wouldn't say street smart, but they're wise asses, you know what I mean? Yeah, they're almost New Yorkers. (laughs) Exactly. So Scott is played as a young kid by Tom Guiri, who the only role I really remember this kid from is as the boyfriend to Sean Penn's daughter in Mystic River. He's the kid who, like, beats the shit out of that little boy in the kitchen. (laughs) Whoa. I think he's also in Black Hawk Down, but yeah, very few movies I actually remember this kid from. But fun fact, in August of 2013, I guess Tom Guiri was arrested at an airport in Houston for allegedly headbutting a police officer after he was told he was too drunk to board a flight. (laughs) Classic. What are you going to do? Not headbutt the officer? (laughs) You're telling me I can't get on this plane because I'm too drunk? Fuck you, buddy. I'm, what are you, am I not going to drink before I get on this plane? I played Smalls. (laughs) I'm Scott Smalls. You're killing me, Smalls. You think he said that right before he fucking clocked? (laughs) The police, or the, yeah, or the police officer said that as his fucking nose broke. Well, I doubt the police officer had as much humor about it, but I just, I'm picturing an adult, dude, you're killing me, Smalls, and then headbutting this fucking guy. Yeah, or like a bystander who was a huge fan of it definitely shouted that. Oh, yeah, 100%. Huh. So Scott wants his new stepdad, Bill, uh, I guess, to teach him how to throw a baseball. But Bill is too damn busy. He's a businessman. Plus, he's played by Dennis Leary. Yeah. Naturally, the coldest person in the world. <laughs> the last man I'd want to be my father. Yeah, right? <laughs> uh, last scene on the show, of course, says Diego, uh, the saber-toothed tiger oh, in Ice Age. I, for- I completely <laughs> forgot we did Ice Age. <laughs> so Bill also appears to have a pretty sweet baseball collection including what appears to be an autographed ball from Babe Ruth. Super cool. Super cool. Scott eventually winds up following the neighborhood kids to this sandlot after school one day. It's this little, you know, baseball oasis of sorts. He he, he calls it a kingdom of kids, really. And um, I, I, again, it's just a sweet, nostalgic piece. Like, I mean, no one uses this space. It's clearly just for the neighborhood kids. And even, like, the neighboring Little League team thinks it's, like, a piece of shit. And so, again, it's just kind of like this ragtag team of, of kids. Yeah, and he's just kind of pontificating the whole like idea of this sandlot and the fact that they're just like not even keeping score. They're literally just playing baseball. And this is where the nostalgia starts to hit me a lot because that is like if you loved baseball, that's such a dream. Literally just going to play ball every day like you're not even like really paying attention. You're just playing. Yeah. And it's just like that is like that's the most summer thing I've ever heard. And it makes me really, really miss being fucking like 12. Yeah, I hear you. As, as someone who played sports and, and, you know, had fun, but like was never obsessed with any one sport. And so didn't play baseball in particular, but had played baseball. This just really brings you back to like, God damn it. I want to go find those guys I used to play all these sports with and fucking hang out again. Chew some gum. Yeah. Chew some big league chew. Yeah. Drink some pop. But yeah, there's only eight of them. So they need a ninth in order to make the full team. 
And as you said, they just play ball nonstop. They pick up where they left off the day before. And Scott's simply hoping to be the one maybe taking up the space in the outfield. He has no skills whatsoever, but he just needs some friends. Uh, but before he ends up like speaking to the boys, uh, there's this terrifying sound coming from the other side of the Sandlot fence. It sounds like a fucking dragon or a lion banging on the fence. Uh, clearly, we'll be able to see, hopefully see what's on the other side of that fairly soon, you know? Nah, maybe. 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 Or maybe we have to wait an hour and 20 minutes. <laughs> maybe it'll be a fucking puppet for a while, but that's cool. For a long time. <laughs> for a long time, it'll be a puppet. <laughs> um, just then, though, Benny lands a fucking sick hit, which hits Scott right in the head. He can't catch. He can't even throw the ball. Very Henry Rowan Gardner. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, he thinks he's a fucking idiot. Don't be a goofus, dude, he keeps telling himself. He's embarrassed. He can't throw the ball. He runs home like a little bitch. We meet his mom. He's wearing the dumbest hat in the world. <laughs> he is. That's right. Yeah. We meet his mom, uh, played by Karen Allen, like from Indiana Jones and whatnot, which is pretty cool. Yeah. And uh, she tries to get him out in the fresh air and meet some new friends. But I'm an egghead. Well, you're going to stay an egghead with that attitude. Oh, thanks, mom. <laughs> Thanks, Ma. The next morning, Bill has some time to uh, reluctantly teach Scott how to play catch. Scott sucks. Bill knows it. Although his only real advice is keep your eye on the ball, um, which. Yeah, he doesn't teach him any fundamentals. <laughs> no, no. Uh, which Scott takes pretty literally, takes the ball right to the face, uh, resulting in a black eye. Hilarious. Later that day, Benny comes over, invites Scott to go play some ball. He gives him his spare mitt. And, you know, yeah, as a kid, you would look up to this kid like, oh, my God, this kid, Benny's the fucking coolest. This fucking kid who's so good at baseball, like, that, like you're looking up to him, he's older, he comes up and gives you a mitt? Whoa. <sighs> whoa, whoa. We meet the team sort of just hanging out. They're chewing gum, spitting. Uh, they give Scott some shit for not knowing who the great Bambino is. And Scott pretends to know who it is, by the way. And this is like a plot point. Idiot. Yeah, this Rookie is a plot move. point. Yep. At the Sandlot, the team doesn't really want Scott. Even if he does mean they're a full team now, he's just a fucking weenie, Zach, and no one likes a weenie. And he continues to play terrible in left field. He doesn't even, he, you know, he tells them that he likes baseball and his stepfather is really into baseball, but then he doesn't know where, like, left field is. Yeah, he has no idea what any anything in this sport is or how it works or He's fucking hopeless. But that's what makes, I think, Benny such a cool character, too, is the fact that he's so forgiving and just understanding and really just wants this kid to join their team. And he's telling all his teammates, like, yeah. just chill, all right? He's, again, just loves baseball so much so that he just wants to share it with literally everyone. Yeah, it's awesome. But the, he does suck, like, right off the bat. Like, he still can't catch the ball. He refuses to throw the ball. He, like, runs it in from deep left center into yeah. fucking into, into the mound. Benny gives him, like, you know, some starter advice. It basically, like, have you ever had a paper route? Kind of, you know, this is how you throw a ball. <laughs> it shouldn't be that hard, Scott. And he, like, figures it out immediately. Suddenly, Scott knows how to play baseball. Uh, that is when catcher Hamilton Porter, also known as Ham, uh, hits a home run into the adjacent backyard. Smalls attempts to retrieve the ball, but is stopped by the other boys who tell him of the beast, which is this. They have to have like a huge sleepover for it. Though. True, yeah. You can't just like share this story. <laughs> nope, like, nope, we need it at night. In the sandlot, you have to get. You have to go to the clubhouse at night. And of course, yeah, they've got this little like tree clubhouse thing. This is where we get the first, you're killing me, Smalls. I guess this is what, when Ham asks uh, Scott if he wants s'mores. Some more of what? I don't even know what I'm getting. This was a big quote, too. You take your mallow, 
God. Oh, but yeah, man, really makes you nostalgic for just hanging out with the boys in this little this little tree. Again, it's so simple. You know what I mean? They don't even have necessarily the hard edge of of a stand by me where they're sort of like looking at like playboys or this or that. It's even it's just one step below that, like even more junior, which I kind of like. Yeah, they're literally just like sitting there eating like s'mores. And I loved back in the summer when like you didn't have any obligations the next day. And like you just told your mom, like, yeah, I'm out of here. And, the, and your mom was like, okay, bye. Like, Be that's, by dark or something, yeah. Yeah, or like, all right, see you tomorrow. Like, that's the best feel of summer that this movie gets, this idea that these kids are really just kind of running around, like, so free. Literally, do whatever you want. His mom even tells him, like, get in trouble. I don't care. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, do something. And it's, it's, God, I miss that about summer. So one of the players, Michael Squints Paladoris, uh, yeah, it goes by Squints. He tells the tale of the beast, almost like he would a ghost story. This whole like flashback sort of tale is told in like a black and white. It, or, it sort of ri- reminded me of that scene in A Christmas Story when Ralphie's like fantasizing about shooting the burglars <laughs> who are coming in or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it's basically this tale of this old English mastiff known as the beast who uh, was bought as a small dog to protect this junkyard by Mr. Myrtle. Um, who was sick of people stealing shit and just fed the dog whole sides of beef over the years, which turned him into a beast. I guess this is technically in a matter of weeks is what they say. Like in a matter of weeks, this dog went from a puppy to a goddamn monster. And he had one objective basically to kill anyone who trespasses. So uh, Mr. Myrtle was then forced by the town to chain the dog up when supposedly like over 150 men or something had been killed by this dog. Uh, and again, we see glimpses of the beast. It's this terrible giant like dog puppet. <laughs> it's funny because I always thought it was kind of dumb when I used to watch this movie that like it just it, like I don't want to spoil anything, but it's you know, it's a dog. It's not anything to be like super scared of, but they kind of have this almost like unreliable narrator thing going on. And like it's clearly just from like the point of view of like kids with like kind of just like over I don't even know overactive but just sort of overreaching imaginations. Yes. This dog, this giant goofy English mastiff is like a a man eater. Yeah. And it's huge and no one wants to go over there because it'll kill you. Like it of course that's not true. Right. That wouldn't be true at all anywhere, anytime. <laughs> But it's but, you know, it's just like young kids in the summer just like making up their own mythology for, I don't know, no reason. Yeah. Making this dog out to be sort of a legend. So I'm very forgiving of the fact that it is a dog puppet, because had they shown just a dog's paw or the side of a dog's face, you know, immediately like, you know, it loses that that mythos. Exactly. Well, because when you do see this actual dog. It's a it's big a dog. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a big dog. It's but a it's, big, yeah. goofy, silly dog. Like it's it's an adorable dog. So the puppet gives it sort of like this menacing feel to it because you can make the puppet look scary and make it look a lot bigger than it really is and a lot stronger than it really is. So, yeah, I'm okay with it, too. I think it's actually in its own cheap way. I think it's good filmmaking. So we do find out that Squints and really all the neighborhood boys have a crush on Wendy Peppercorn. She's the lifeguard at the local public pool. And because one of these days is just so damn hot to play outside, which I, I, I mean, living in Maine, these days are few and far between. I imagine in Los Angeles in the summer, it's, you know, I can't even imagine that you just cannot do anything outside. Yeah, it, it, this struck home to me because this whole week in Wisconsin has just been like, you can't be outside. It's awful. Makes me miss Maine. There are a lot of things, huh, Zach, that make you do that. Nah. <laughs> nah. 
Benny. Not really. Now, Benny would play ball every single day. It doesn't bother him, but he clearly tells that his you know teammates are just not having it. So the boys decide they're too hot. They vote to go to the pool instead. Really, they go to the pool because they want to just see women in bathing suits, essentially. They, they yeah. There's this clever line. I do like the line of like them talking about looking at Playboy, but none of them have actually seen a Playboy. And so this is their but only exposure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is their only exposure to seeing women at all in the flesh. Yeah. So again, in 2021, we're looking at this scene, and I feel like a lot of people are going to find it problematic, understandably so. But I also look at it from the like the perspective of these the true innocence behind it all, and so I don't know. I'm kind of conflicted on it, to be honest. I am too, and it's such a famous scene. This is a ridiculously yeah. famous scene because everybody knows Wendy Pepperfort. Peppercorn. Yep. Peppercorn. Peppercorn, yeah. I've seen bathing. I was so I mean, convinced it was peppercorn. I've seen um, girls' Halloween costumes, like for Wendy Peppercorn. Like, I've seen this yeah. around many times. This yeah. is an incredibly famous scene, and you're right. It is like, if you look at it through a certain lens, not a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> it's problematic. Um, but it, it just, like, it's one of those pieces of cinema that just, like, sticks with you. Sure. And I, I looked it up. It, Marley Shelton, they never mention her age in this movie. There's a few shots of her just like walking away. It's like a shot of her butt. And then there's like shots of her like putting on suntan yeah. lotion and stuff. She's born, I guess, in 90, 1974. So she would have been 19 or so when this came out. Probably around 18 when they shot this. It still feels a bit icky because, yeah, I don't know. Still weird. Yeah, how old she's supposed to be or what's going on here. Because I think in the movie it's implied that she's like 14 or 15. Maybe 16. Yeah, I don't know. Clearly she's older than them, but I just didn't know. And so, yeah, it, it's it's very sexualized. I was a bit grossed out at first, although it is all from the perspective of these young boys, which, you know, kind of puts it into context, I suppose. Yeah, again, it's it's that same narrator thing we were talking about that it's just like, you know, and he even acknowledges it in the movie, which I didn't remember until this time around, that he's just like, what he does was a despicable, terrible thing. Yes. But it but it worked. <laughs> and it's right. like, yeah. Uh, okay, but we should probably just tell them the scene. Sure, yeah. So Spitz, you know, he can't swim. Spitz. He <laughs> oh, wait, sorry, squints, yeah. <laughs> Spitz. Squints. <laughs> That's gross. Squints uh, can't swim. He goes to the deep end on purpose in this very desperate attempt to get Wendy's attention. So he immediately sinks, starts drowning, which causes Wendy to jump into action. She rescues him, pulls him from the pool, and begins administering mouth-to-mouth resuscitation. And we find out it was all fake. Yep, it was a ruse. Yeah, he grabs the back of her head and he kisses her. She freaks out. She grabs him by the arm, throws him out of the pool. The boys become banned from the pool. And we're told in narration that from that moment on, the lifeguard always smiled at Squints when she saw him passing by. And so again, it's like, and then you find out some information towards the very end of this movie, which we won't get into, which I guess, again, maybe makes this scene a little more palatable. But at the same time, you don't you don't want kids we're showing this movie to a kid's today. You obviously don't want kids thinking this is OK. And this is you don't how you want get to the attention of this. women or girls or whatnot. So no, you don't want to encourage this. But again, I think as an adult looking back, you have that sort of like, oh, what a little rascal. <laughs> but again, showing this to kids, I think it does have to come with a conversation. Yeah, I agree. Oh yeah, so then we do find out there's really only one night game a year for the group, and that's on the 4th of July. And this is another one of those scenes like, goosebumps. Jesus, this is great. Yeah, I love yeah, this. This, is, this great. is a goosebump scene. And it's, again, and I, and I apologize for looking at this through this lens so much, but just playing baseball growing up I remember being that young and watching on the big field like the bigger kids play night games dreamed of it like you dreamed of night games it was so cool 
ended up hating night games, by the way. But, um, <laughs> but at the time, you were like, "This is like this is a dream. This is so cool." And the fact that they, the only reason that they can play under the lights, quote unquote, is because there's so many fireworks lighting up the sky that you yeah. can just barely play baseball. Which I would disagree, but. <laughs> <laughs> But it is just a cool scene of Benny hitting a fucking line drive and he's rounding the bases and all the other kids are stopping because they're just watching the fireworks as this amazing rendition of America the Beautiful is playing. It's just... Yeah. It's shot almost like that scene in, what is it, the end of The Natural with Robert Redford when he's rounding yeah. the bases and the fucking lights yeah, are Yeah, and the lights are blowing yeah. up all over the place. It's yeah. amazing, yeah. It is. It's so cool. Before we had, like, Benny had to be convinced to go to the pool. Benny wanted to play baseball that much. And, you know, Benny was the one who was like, hey, guys, like, we're playing ball. Stop looking at the fireworks. And, you know, like, as he's rounding the bases, everybody's staring at fireworks, distracted. The kid just loves baseball so much, and there's something very pure about that to me that you you don't really get that in baseball youth baseball now i think i think it's so complicated and there's just so many things going into it and they're trying to make the game a little younger which is great but just you don't get this nostalgia for baseball that you used to anymore with kids like benny the jet who just like all they were doing was thinking about baseball and i i really appreciate that from this character oh for sure i mean this you know, sequels, series, or whatever, if they shoot it, the kids would be fucking filming the fireworks with their phone or something at this point. <laughs> yeah, they'd be filming the fireworks with their phone and TikToking, and, <laughs> you know, they'd be wearing like fucking a thousand pieces of gear. Meanwhile, these kids are fucking just playing in sand, dude. <laughs> That's right, man. All you need is a shirt, a cap, and some fucking jeans, brother. Playing baseball in jeans. Jesus, kill me. Kill me. <laughs> I know, man. The chafing alone. <laughs> Later, they are challenged to play against a uh, rival Little League team. It's sort of pitched as like a slobs versus snobs game. Uh, A lot of schoolyard insults being hurled at each other. Uh, The ultimate, of course, being dropped. You play ball like a girl. Yep. And I can't tell you how many times that was slung around the baseball field. Did that hurt? Yeah. No, no. You just laughed at it because you knew what the what the reference was. So it but it's it is funny how it just like they're calling all these each other all these terrible names like piss liquor and shit like that (laughs) and then he's like well you play ball like a girl and he's like that's it (laughs) oh man and you know what i was expecting too which didn't come uh and again from someone who just never saw this movie i expected at some point there would be that scene where they recruit a neighborhood girl similar to like mighty ducks or that does not happen in this movie. This is a. I think. Yeah. I think that's like a big thing in the second one. If I remember, uh, it must it's, be. It's like the only thing I remember from the second one is that I think that they do like the you play like a girl thing, and the girl's like really good. Yeah, of course. That's what I would expect here. On, on the, but really, we only get the mom and Wendy Peppercorn as the only females in this entire. The movie. only women in this entire yeah. movie. Um, which is weird to me, but. I, I don't know. Yeah, it kind of sets it up as almost like a. <laughs> what I love about John Carpenter's The Thing is that there are no women in it, specifically for the fact that the movie doesn't function if there is a woman, because then you know there's a voice of reason and the movie stops, but it's all these masculine idiots <laughs> just fucking yelling at each other the whole movie. Sure. And so it kind of sure, plays sure, into sure, that sure. with you with the Sandlot. It's I feel like most of the scenarios that we get throughout the movie, especially involving the dog, just simply wouldn't happen if there was a girl to be like, "Why are we so fucking stupid?" Yeah. Exactly. If, if there was a girl there, there she'd just be like, go knock on the fucking door. <laughs> exactly. <Yeah. laughs> Ask for directions. Yeah. Exactly. No, that's a good point. Like, 
yeah, it's really just that men are idiots. But um, but it's also I think it is kind of a period piece in that sense too. That it's just like you know, if you were in the '60s, they probably wouldn't have let a girl come play with them. They'd have been like, no, fuck off. I mean, like, yeah, and and thankfully we're not being too realistic where they wouldn't allow the one African American child to play as well. Glad he's yeah. on the team, but yeah, in the 1960s, that, sadly, I don't know. Yeah. By the way, a very underrated part of this movie that we haven't touched on yet are the costumes, specifically the baseball-specific apparel, because although although now that I'm saying it out loud, it does seem a little weird, but, you know, Benny's got a fucking L.A. Dodgers hat on. Someone else has a nice Yankees hat on, and um, this kid specifically, I can't remember his name if you, I don't know if you have it on here. Uh, Brandon Quinton Adams plays Kenny. The, the thing specifically about Kenny is that he's wearing a Kansas City Monarchs hat, which was a Negro League hat. Oh, okay. Which, so it's just kind of a nice, like, tip to baseball history right there. Yeah. Very cool to me to see that. And there's a lot of other, um, apparel and memorabilia that you see, like, in, in other, like, especially in the trophy rooms, there's, like, two specific baseball trophy rooms that have, like, really cool stuff in there. So I just thought that was, like, really cool. It's, you know, we talked about this for, I forgot which movie it was. Maybe, maybe it was Rookie of the Year. I don't know if we've done any other baseball movies, but we talked about it in that one that it's, like, you can tell that the people making this really love baseball and that's very apparent in this one they they don't skimp on the baseball details here and i appreciate that yeah they also what i love about it it's a period piece this takes place early 60s in some of these movies in lesser films they'll play songs and they'll show cars and vehicles and things like that that are literally from that year which i always get pissed off about because everything would be at least 10 years old you know depending on how rich the neighborhood is their cars aren't going to be that brand yeah this movie does really pay attention to the music is just a little before the 60s. The cars and everything is all period specific, but it's just before that time. So mm-hmm. it just feels lived in, more real. His Dodgers stuff, Benny's Dodgers stuff, all looks like a little fresher too because the LA Dodgers were not a team until like maybe three or four years before this movie takes place. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's cool. That's they cool. were in Brooklyn. Yeah, it's 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 interesting. So it, it it is. the And you can tell that I think he was just feeding off of his childhood when he wrote this movie. Yeah. And it's very apparent, um, and he did not skimp on details. You could say whatever you want about his later filmography. This movie in particular, though, he fucking nails everything about it. Yeah, and the kid who does play Kenny here, that uh, uh, Brandon Quinton Adams, I knew I recognized him from something. He plays Fool in uh, The People Under the Stairs, that Wes Craven movie from 91, but he's also in The Mighty Ducks, too. Yeah, that's right. Few, a few of these kids are. I completely You know, if yeah. you were in the 90s and you were a kid actor doing a sports movie, you were probably in the Mighty Ducks. <laughs> so uh, a game is set for tomorrow at a real baseball field uh, with this little league team as well. It's a solid victory for our heroes, and they celebrate. Kick the shit out of these kids. Yeah, they do. And they celebrate by hitting the fair and uh, chomping on some chewing tobacco. We talked about a gross scene last week, and we got to it here. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> You know, it's all set to tequila, this, you know, the combination of the chew. Yeah. And the spinning of this like tilt a world ride they get on. They're all makes them all sick. They end up puking all over themselves and even passerbys. Yeah. Disgusting. But but again, definitely a thing. Oh, yeah. And I've never I've never had chewing tobacco. I do remember as a kid when I tried a cigarette for the very first time and swore off them, you know, because it's, it's again, those things that when you do them really young and they just have such an impression on you, you're like, no, never again. I also <laughs> never chewed tobacco, um, which was surprising, but I knew a lot of kids in baseball who were doing it because yeah, that's of course. because that's what pros do. Right. Yeah. And that's what you're doing 
even with that fucking shredded gum as you would put it in like the fucking corner of your lip to pretend you're chewing. That's the point of Big League Chew is to have a pouch that looks like chewing tobacco and boy and they even say after this you know after this scene like after we you know all got over our stomach problems we swore off chewing tobacco and just stuck with Big League Chew. And it's yeah, like, well, yeah. yeah, that's what that's what it's there for. So Dennis Leary, Bill He's going on a business trip to Chicago, leaving Scott in charge as the man of the house. We're told that uh, this is the day that Scott gets his friends into the biggest pickle of all time. That's right. This is when the story actually starts. I <laughs> I noticed this, Brandon, and like it it, and I've always noticed this about this movie, but I guess just paying attention this time, it stuck out. This movie is so aimless for like the first hour, hour, really, or yeah. more. Yeah, it just yeah. like it has zero plot, other than just like kids messing around during summer. Become yeah, becoming friends. Becoming I guess. friends yeah. or like continuing friendship for most of them. Like it's it really like there is very little plot. There's just like little subsets of like you know. In this scene, they play against a little league team. In this scene, they chew tobacco. In this scene, they go to the pool. In this scene, they do this. So it's it's just kind of interesting that this whole it's an hour and 41 minutes or something like that yeah and i'd say about an hour maybe an hour 10 is spent doing mindless shit <laughs> yeah they they start the movie off by hinting at this big pickle that he gets his friends in yeah and we're finally about to take a style take a bite out of this pickle yeah what's going yeah, on here we are yeah uh we find out that it all starts with this omen really benny hits a ball so hard that it unravels right knocks the cover off of it and knocks the casing off it yeah which they think is like a good omen. Right. And but it's the team's only ball and it hits it so hard that yeah, they've just destroyed it. So with Bill away on business, Scott uh, decides to borrow the autographed baseball, the Babe Ruth baseball from his trophy room and because he's so ignorant of baseball history, uh, he just doesn't realize the ball's value. Yeah, and I got to tell you, um I think in almost every state in America, you're legally allowed to kill your child for doing this. <laughs> I like I <laughs> yeah, would that was, that was passed in the 70s. I yeah. would um kill this kid. I'd kill him. <laughs> <laughs> like, you took my Babe Ruth signed baseball and played with it in a sandlot. Like, even just, like, before he before the thing that happens, I'd just be like, I mean, I'm going to kill you. You're dead. <laughs> You're a dead child. But it's the ball that Scott hits his very first home run on. He sends it over the fence into the beast yard. Everyone's super happy, even though they're yeah, like, they don't again, even care. Yeah, we can't play the game for the rest of the day, but who gives a shit? Scott Smalls just kill, like, you know, Smalls crushed a ball. Oh, yeah. Run. yeah. Yeah. Freaking slammed a tater. <laughs> they're all congratulating him. He, however, very sad, very disappointed, and very worried uh, because he tells them, hey, this uh, that ball was signed by someone named Baby Ruth. Yeah, some woman. <laughs> some lady named Baby Ruth. And yeah. Huh, he knows he done fucked up. Yeah, this is when he gets outed because the kids freak out. They're like, Babe Ruth, and then they all like go to find the ball. And they're like, you fucking moron. Why would you do this? <laughs> like, And he's, you know, they all, the Sultan of Swat, the King of Karaj, blah, 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 the great Bambino. And he's like, oh, those are the same person? <laughs> You're killing me, Smalls. <laughs> You're killing me, Smalls. I And we will kill you, Smalls. <laughs> But they do, like, see through the fence that uh, the beast drags the ball into his home. So they're like, oh, well, sorry, man. That's... You're a literal dead person. Yeah, you're dead. Your stepdad's going to fucking kill you. 
but they also understand the importance of the ball and you know smalls is their boy so they're gonna try and help him out so they do scrounge up some bottles for cash which i do remember as a kid we would go like with a radio flyer wagon trying to pick up just random cans to somehow go to the yeah. redemption center just to get like soda or this or that mm-hmm. like again nothing nothing much but you'd be able to scrounge up a couple bucks on the side of the road there very funny too that this only hits home with a couple of states in this country well, like New York, Maine, Vermont, California. <laughs> recycling, maybe. That's what it is. Recycling, yes. yeah. The only ones that care yes. about recycling. I'm calling you out, Wisconsin. <laughs> yeah, I get some some cash for the bottles. They buy a new ball. Benny just slaps Babe Ruth's name on it, and Scott puts it back in the trophy case, sort of to just buy them some time in case the mom comes in. Again, kind of clever for a kid. Um, I was just wondering, like, there's no way Bill's going to think this is <laughs> the same ball, but they're just like, well, he's gone. You know, in case the mom notices. He's gone in case mom notices and in case, like, Bill comes home and he just, like, glances at it. Like, again, like, going off the assumption that he's not going to, like, get home and just, like, all right, time to do my daily inspection of my Babe Ruth baseball. (laughs) But from this point out, yeah, it's really just about trying to get this ball for the next really 20 to 30 minutes, I'd say, of the movie is them, like, making several attempts to get the ball out of the yard using makeshift, like, retrieval devices. Yeah, but each one's destroyed by the beast. I just need to do a little side thing, too, by the way. Can you believe there's no fart joke in this movie? Yeah, uh, Zach, I gotta be honest. Fucking s- I was disheartened, dismayed, disheveled, sad. <laughs> Mostly sad, yeah, yeah. Saddened, really. Yeah, disappointed. Well, it's a movie about fucking kids growing up in the summer. You're telling me not one of them cracked a fart. Porter didn't crack a fart. Uh, the fact that they do call each other fart sniffers, and there's a lot of, you know, uh, fart insults no no farts there's a burp or two but that counts for like less than a third of a fart so you've got gross kids and a dog and no fart i don't know not a single fart and james earl jones (laughs) (laughs) so they yeah they blow up some vacuum cleaners is one of them they like use some sort of like pulley system to have one of the kids hoisted above the junkyard and lowered to pick up the ball which does work but the fucking idiot drops the ball last minute dumbass benny meanwhile later uh, one of these nights has a dream in which the spirit of babe ruth uh visits him and advises him to get the ball himself and that will be the moment that makes you a legend yeah and this is where we get the very famous remember kid heroes get for Heroes get remembered, legends never died, follow your heart, you'll never go wrong, which seems like a lot of advice in one sentence, but um, (laughs) also, if we can be honest, Babe Ruth's not giving this kind of advice. He was a hot dog gargling fucking drunkard. (laughs) (laughs) Babe Ruth's not giving sort of like follow your heart Wholesome advice, advice, yeah. If he is, he's literally doing it just because he's like drunk and he doesn't know what he's saying. Uh, Just follow your heart. (laughs) Fucking hungry. (laughs) Yeah, it's Art LaFleur here who plays the babe. And uh, it was at this scene that I just realized also how few adults are in this movie. There's really the parents, James Earl Jones, the babe at this one moment, and maybe just, you know, extras, really. Extras, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Also, he gives him his Hank Aaron fucking baseball card. Mistake, Benny. (laughs) Don't give a ghost your fucking Hank Aaron card. Dude's going to break the home run record one day. Um, So Benny decides... He's going to go in. This is going to be his moment. He's going to go in and get the ball back. So he decides to pickle the beast. Is that what it's called, Zach? Pickling? Pickle. I, I mean, it's the technical term for it is a rundown. But oh, okay. It's, right. it's it, We see it a couple times, but you did, like, especially in youth baseball, and even sometimes when I was in high school, you would call it a pickle, where you are caught in a pickle. Like, you're in a pickle now because you are caught in between 
two fielders and like you were caught stealing or something. So you have to do that running back and forth thing. So that's essentially his idea is like the, the whole thing with Benny has been that he's untouchable. Like no one can get him in a pickle. We've seen Mm -hmm. it, I think twice now he escapes a pickle, which is a really difficult thing to do because you're often fucked in that kind of situation. I'd imagine so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's Benny's plan is like, fuck it. I'm going to outrun the dog. Yeah, and it you know really speaks to the entire theme of the movie where he's been going on and on about how he got his friends into the biggest pickle of the you know their lives. It's kind of <laughs> you, you get it, dude. Themes, yeah. themes, baseball, <laughs> baseball. So he does. He goes over the fence, successfully grabs the ball. We finally see the beast in all his glory, and it's finally played by just a big fucking dog, just a big bull mastiff. Yeah. And uh, he grabs the ball, and he leaps back over the fence, but the chain breaks, and the beast chases benny throughout the town really and destroys the town too i don't know yeah the one that always sticks out to me is the movie theater scene where like the beast jumps through the the screen <laughs> yeah. why were they in why were they, what? it looked like a community center that they were playing some sort of movie in because he's maybe running through buildings yeah they're obviously playing the wolfman very clever he rips yeah. through the screen yeah he's just chasing him all throughout yeah. this town uh, the community picnic, and eventually back to the sand. Also, this this is another this movie flexing its period piece uh, set pieces and costumes and everything running through this town because we don't really see much. Like we get glimpses of it. It's really interesting that they put so much detail into this movie in terms of the set and the costumes and and the setting and everything. And we're really only focusing on the kids. We don't really get a lot. Like they run through the neighborhood during the Fourth of July, back when they used to have huge neighborhood parties, and like we get these like community center scenes and stuff like that. But we never focus on it. And it it is just like sort of it's exactly what it is the background. And Benny makes it back to the sandlot with uh, the dog chasing after him. He jumps back into Mister Myrtle's yard, but the beast crashes through the fence, which falls down on top of it. And there's this moment where they think they might have actually killed the dog and Smalls and Benny decide to, to lift the fence to free him. And the dog is actually very grateful, shows some gratitude by licking Scott's face and eventually leads them to its stash of baseballs. Yeah, that all the baseballs they've ever hit. And the, and Benny's like, now we can play forever. Yeah, it's a cute scene. Benny's got, yeah. Benny's like sexually addicted to baseball. He's like, oh my God, <laughs> we're going to be able to play forever. Oh, look at all these balls. Benny? Benny? Benny, are you okay? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But yeah, I do like this scene. It's it's exactly you know what you're predicting this entire time. Like eventually, the dog's just going to be a sweet dog, and yeah, yeah, exactly. It's and it's it's what we were talking about earlier. Like, of course, this dog's not a man eater. Yeah. It's a giant goofy mastiff. Like, it's you know, it's the same scene it's, really it, in in Stand by Me with the whole chopper sick balls thing where they think this junkyard dog's exactly. going to kill him, but it turns out to just be a little you know <laughs> a little dog. Yeah, very unferocious. Yeah, exactly. But they uh, they return the dog back to. Mr. Murphy, right? Mr. Murphy, Myrtle. Mr. Myrtle. Myrtle, yeah. excuse yeah. me, so close. Myrtle the turtle. But it turns out to be a blind man, James Earl Jones. Yeah, James Earl Jones, fucking Darth Vader, Mufasa himself. It's uh he turns out to be a famous baseball player of sorts, right? Yeah, I think he might have been he might have he probably played in the Negro Leagues or he or he played for Pittsburgh, I can't remember. But um yeah, I, he turns out to be a famous baseball player because there's a photo of him standing next to Babe Ruth and I think maybe Lou Gehrig. Yeah. Yeah, he's he's clearly like just an old man who like used to be really good at baseball and he goes on to say that like he was a better hitter than Babe Ruth and he would have broken his home run record but he took a baseball to the noggin and blinded him. 
Whew. Baseball was fun back then. Yeah, Jesus. But um, because he knows how much the ball means to uh, Scott and Scott's stepdad, he decides that he'd trade him for uh, a baseball that's autographed by all of the 1927 New York Yankees. And maybe it's because he's that he doesn't have like family to give it to or anything like that. But I got to tell you, even if you're famous, it's like one of the greatest baseball teams ever. I, I don't think I give a kid this fucking baseball. <laughs> but, <laughs> right. Yeah. Murderer's row. Right. Yeah. But Smalls uh, then gives the ball to Bill because basically, you know, uh, Mr. Myrtle says, hey, if you come back here and chat baseball with me once a week, we're even. And um, they agree to do so. Again, it's the same. It's that trope you've seen in so many movies where, like, the hermit or the guy next door who seems to be scary once you actually meet him is a sweetheart. He's just lonely. Yeah, he's just a lonely sweetheart. That's a fucking great deal. Like, go talk to one of the best baseball players ever, like, once a week about baseball. Fucking A. In exchange, you get a ball that's going to be worth, like, millions and millions of dollars. Bill, though, uh, the stepdad, still pretty pissed off that his Babe Ruth ball got all chewed to shit. Um, but now he has this other ball, uh, I guess. But the really only punishment that Smalls does get is he's grounded for a week. Which, my God, a week for stealing and fucking up a Babe Ruth baseball. I'd still probably kill him and be like, thanks for this amazing <laughs> baseball, but I'm still going to freaking throw you out a window. <laughs> yeah, or he uses that ball to crush his skull. Yeah, something. <laughs> now there's blood on it. <laughs> So we get this sort of like, again, very reminiscent of like the Stand By Me wrap up montage at the end where we find out what happens to all the kids. They're all fading uh, away. Thankfully, none of them fades away to their death who's like stabbed well, in a diner or something. Yeah, we do find out some of them don't have as happy lives as others. My, I mean, the, my favorite line in this is, well, he got real into the 60s and no one ever saw him again. Fade away. It's I wonder hilarious. what happened to that kid. Yeah. It's, it's hilarious. I love that kid. The boys do continue to really play baseball on the sandlot over the years with the Beast, whose real name is Hercules. He becomes sort of their mascot. But, you know, over the years, kids move away. You know, they all essentially go their separate ways. We do find out, you know, like Ham becomes a professional wrestler. Squints gets married to Wendy Peppercorn, and they now have nine kids. Yep. Mm -hmm. And Hercules lived to be like 28 or 29 in dog. It's like 199 in dog years. <laughs> 199 in dog years, something ridiculous. You want me to do a calculator really quick? What is it, 199 divided by 7? I'm very curious. 199 divided by 7, 28.4 years. Yes. Yeah. Shit, that's insane. Yeah. But uh, Benny's exploits with the Beast earns him the nickname The Jet, which he carries uh, that nickname on throughout his career. He goes on to play for the Los Angeles Dodgers, and Smalls becomes a sports commentator, which we met where we met him in the beginning, and he's covering a game against Giants, I think, in which Benny successfully steals home, and they celebrate their victory, you know, giving each other thumbs up. I believe the kid, the guy who's playing Benny grown up is actually that actor's brother in real life, like his older brother, oh. um, which is why they do look a lot alike, which is like, it looks like that kid grown up with a mustache. Uh, I know. <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah. No, I mean, if you go look at that kid now, that's exactly what he looks like. Yeah. And... They're still friends, and in Scott's booth, we still see that he has the chewed-up baseball as well as a framed photo of his Sandlot bros. He's got the chewed-up baseball, he's got the World Series Yankees baseball, and he's got the fake Babe Ruth baseball. He kept all of them. <laughs> yeah, no case. Just fucking out in the open. Good for you, I guess, man. <sighs> what a legend, man. Yeah. All right, well, yeah, that was the Sandlot. Yeah. Oof. We ran a little long there, but uh, I guess I'll start because, or no, you know what? Actually, I'm I'm curious to hear your thoughts on it, Brandon. First time seeing it. 
Sure, yeah. I mean, so first time seeing this all the way through, I got to say it did hit me right in the nostalgia feels, reminded me of childhood, reminded me of that summer feeling you get when school is out and the world is your fucking oyster, man. I, I just had a lot of fun seeing these kids. You know, the characters are, are briefly introduced here and there, so you don't learn a lot about them. But I think the actors that they cast have such maybe charisma that they, they really managed to make these kids feel fully realized. Good children acting. Yeah, yeah. Good child actors. I think it's well produced. I like the music, the, the, the setting, really. It really did manage to evoke a, a sort of feel, a time and a place, which I feel like so yeah. few films managed to do well. You know, in terms of a story, you're right, it does meander. It, it, for a kid today, I don't know if they have the attention span to necessarily watch this all the way through without having to get up or this or that. I, I, don't, I don't know. I'm curious if kids today would find this as entertaining as we would have back in the day. Or if they're just so ADD that, like, the multiple like set pieces just like keep them there. That's true. And and again, I'm hoping that kids watch this movie and just have that feeling of, you know, the fun they have when they're with their friends. Cause that's really what this movie is meant to inspire and remind you of. I, I feel like this necessarily doesn't hit quite the, the top tier uh, classic level of a movie like stand by me or a Christmas story. That's so perfect that I think as an adult, you can watch and get just as much, if yeah. not more out of it than when you watched it at the age the characters are. You know, this one does seem more geared towards kids, which I think, you know, is the movie they're going for. So I think that if you haven't seen this before, mm. definitely worth a watch. Yeah, I, I was never bored. I was, you know, entertained the whole way through. And for a movie based solely around kids, that's that's pretty good for, you know, an yeah. adult, you know, nearing 30 here. So I, I got to say, I had a fun time. It's it's a movie that I can see myself rewatching again, maybe not every summer, but I could see myself going back to this and definitely introducing it to a kid if I ever have, if I'm ever saddled with that curse someday. <laughs> whoa <laughs> but i'll say i think critics a little low on them on their end i won't go necessarily as high as audiences because i feel like i just maybe missed the boat there where this was a quintessential movie growing up sure i'm gonna give it a seven i think it's a pretty solid movie definitely a fresh film and uh one i'll revisit yeah i um i agree i about pretty much everything i think going back and watching this with the perspective that i was going into um which was just try and watch it more objectively because this movie was so nostalgic for me. And and that's kind of the point of it. It's supposed to make you feel nostalgic for summer, for being a child, for, you know, everything else. And I, you know, it's interesting that I expected a love letter to baseball. And in some ways it is a love letter to baseball, but it's more a love letter to summer and childhood. It, yeah. And it really it it hit home for me on a lot of chords, just, you know, a lot of things that I think are timeless. You, you know, we obviously we talked about earlier as a joke that everybody would be, you know, filming fireworks on their phone and like doing TikToks and shit like that. But in a lot of ways, this is like very timeless. You know, there are just kids who are just going to like hang out aimlessly during the summer. And I, I kind of thought maybe that aimless plot direction was going to be sort of a negative for it, but it does, I think, do really well for the story in terms of like, yeah, it's just kids just doing whatever they want that day and yeah. not worrying about anything and not worrying about having to like do something tomorrow, not worrying about school and not worrying about fucking, you know, girls or anything like that. It's literally just like wandering mindless baseball. So I, I think this movie does remarkably well hitting its period, hitting its tone, hitting its intended purpose of nostalgia. I, I don't understand how this guy goes on to make like crappy films after this, because I really do think he achieved everything he wanted to go set out. 
So I I I really enjoy it. I can't find much fault in it. I do think it runs a little long, especially mm-hmm. for a kids movie. Uh, an hour and forty is just like a little too long. Just a little too long. I I think this movie would serve as a one twenty or something like that. But yeah, I I'm gonna go ahead and give it an eighty. Because I really do think that if you watch this movie and you loved it growing up, the, I mean, it's built for you to go back and watch it and remember everything. You Remember yeah. your childhood. Remember watching this as a child. So I, I think this was the perfect Nostalgia Be Damn movie because it's one of those few movies that the nostalgia is just going to hit home no matter what. No matter what you think of this movie, you're forced to kind of set yourself back into this period of your life. So I really appreciated it. Yeah. I, I think what I also mostly appreciated, you mentioned how this is just kids having fun, not looking forward to tomorrow. The filmmakers wisely don't do what I think a lot of movies would do, which is show the like the troubled backstory or the home lives of certain characters and this like, like get tied up in that. The only thing you we get Scott's kind of, yeah, like Bill, his, his tension with Bill. Yeah. That's really it. It's all about these kids and the fun they're having. But I feel like so many movies today would be like Benny comes from a broken home. That's why yes. he buries himself in baseball. And it's like, I, I don't need that. Benny just loves fucking baseball for no reason other than he loves it. And that's awesome. It, it's very pure. It's such a pure movie. Yeah. So I, I, I really, really enjoyed this movie. It, it's not without its flaws. It's got a few. But other than that, I think it's a perfect nostalgia movie. Yeah. And we're, we're actually going to be uh, revisiting a film next week that similarly, I think, captures a time and a place <laughs> yeah. uh, very well. Uh, not yeah. as old. This but, uh... it, it'll be another nostalgia movie f- in a very different way. Uh, before we get to that, though, Brandon, want to thank Lauren for suggesting The Sandlot for us. Yes. Um, thank you, Lauren. And then want to talk about what we've watched recently. I've only watched a new one new thing because I've been so engrossed in The Leftovers. But um, <laughs> I, I, I need you to watch that so we can talk about that, by the way. Um <laughs> Anyway, starting a new show last night um, called Hacks. It's on HBO. It's about a young writer, a comedy writer, who gets ostracized in the community for writing a joke on Twitter that not everybody liked, and she's forced to take this job writing uh, jokes for this old comedian. Oh. Like this old, previously famous comedian. And I'm only about three episodes in and was not really expecting much out of it. It's fucking hilarious. It's really funny. Really? Like really, really funny. Yeah. Um, and I think it just got picked up for a second season. So if you're looking for something new, kind of uh, a little fresh, a little funnier to watch, check out Hacks on HBO. Hmm. Uh, I similarly only watched really one new thing. It was also on HBO Max, and it's the new uh, Conjuring movie, The Devil Made Me Do It There. Yeah. How's you know, that? I mean, out of the eight fucking Conjuring movies, I just I just found out that that's now the highest grossing horror franchise of all time. You know, and it's funny because I read that that movie specifically in any other year would have been considered a fucking flop. Yeah. How bad it did. But because it was a post pandemic, people came out and were like, yep, this is great. Exactly. I think we've lost. I think we forgot what it's like to go to a movie theater. And so people are just excited to be back in it and being like, ooh, something vaguely spooky. They're like, ooh, the eighth Conjuring movie? <laughs> man. But yeah, man, it's more of the same. I will say I kind of like the flavor of this one not being 
so steeped in the like fucking spooky house and here's a jump scare this one's more about not necessarily a court trial but more the criminal investigation into a, a pretty interesting story about how, how a guy you know claimed demonic possession as his defense and it was a true court case yeah. but these movies are so fucking like devoid of you know reality like so divorced from it anyway that these guys are basically like superheroes yeah. using like religious iconography as superpowers <laughs> yeah I, but i do like the actors the actors are really what saved this so it's it's fine yeah. it's another one and it's fine yeah i'm not super into those movies and i keep getting it recommended to me but i'm just like nah, yeah no thanks that's okay i've heard people call it the walmart of horror and i kind of agree where no. it's just like striving so stro so desperately to appeal to a mainstream audience that it just loses any sort of edge or yeah. counterculture that horror is known for but people will go people love them yeah uh so yeah that one's out you know check it out if you want but uh yeah. next week we are heading to you can actually watch it on hulu i believe currently streaming there 2004's napoleon dynamite jesus christ man this, this movie. is a movie <laughs> oh boy yeah, yeah. I, well no i remember that this was just a fucking phenomenon in high school mm -hmm. i remember or it would have been no i'm sorry it would have been middle school going into high school i remember everyone talking about this movie and it was one of those movies that i read articles on leading up to the release because it was just this very indie no one expected much of it at all from it and then somehow it just struck a chord at the right time and became this like i would say decade defining comedy really yeah weirdly enough i mean it set a tone for the rest of the <laughs> the rest of the 2000s of, yeah. of comedy which is so weird when you consider who's in it and it just the movie in general it's it's very bizarre and it really was like a status symbol in high school like there were the people who had seen it and there were the people who hadn't and like the people who had seen it were off making their fucking jokes yep. and like you could laugh at it, but they'd like get mad at you if you hadn't seen the movie. They're like, well, you haven't seen it. You don't know what it's vote like, for Pedro means. <laughs> Give me your thoughts. <laughs> yeah, you'll fucking get that reference. <laughs> hey, fuck. And it's so okay. weird because this is a movie that I can I can genuinely say the very first time I saw, I didn't get it. I didn't get it. I didn't necessarily even like it, but it has been a movie that yeah. I watched a few more times, especially right around that time where it was popular. And yeah, I've I've seen this movie probably a good handful of times, but it has been, I would say, maybe 10 years since I've actually sat down to watch it front to back. I am super excited to watch it objectively because yes. I think that this movie probably sticks around for a reason. I think it's going to be way better than anticipated. I'm hoping maybe so. Not, maybe not as funny, but I think in terms of just like it being a good, solid film, I think it'll hit home. So I'm excited. Yeah, very interesting to take a look at a movie that's so steeped in that early 2000s to see if it's worthy of the cult success it's it's achieved. This is why we started this podcast for movies specifically like this. Yeah, so tune in next week. Uh, you can check out all of our episodes at nbd.podbean.com where we are originally hosted. You can also find us on many other streaming apps, uh, Apple Music, Spotify, Pandora, all those places. Yep. Don't forget to follow us online, um, Twitter, Instagram. Um, you can also... Send us an email at nostalgiabedampod at gmail.com. Fuck yes, dude. Nostalgiabedampod at gmail.com. I almost fucked up the <laughs> Gmail was... part. I got so excited that I got the first part right. Um, <laughs> write us in. Let us know if there's any movie you want us to cover. Also, if there's any extra content that you'd be interested in seeing, maybe we could like start a side podcast of like shows instead of movies or you know maybe we rev if you got a movie that just came out you want us to review let us know we'd yeah. love to fucking do whatever start a patreon and uh you know 
you can freaking do whatever you want to us. <laughs> well, I, I don't know about that, man. But... No, it's fine. Like, just do whatever you want to us. I don't care. <laughs> Thank you for listening, to, uh, everyone. And uh, yeah, tune in next week. Zach, can you take us out of here with that um, Babe Ruth quote? That just made me feel good about myself. And I think no. it will really set me off in a, in a good direction for my day. Brandon, just remember, legends get remembered. Heroes never die. Follow your heart, kid. You'll never go wrong.